Tonight, we are continuing our study on Hebrews called Jesus, the mediator of a New Testament or the mediator of a new covenant. And just real quickly, as always, when we talk about New Testament, we're not talking about books of the Bible. We're talking about the blood of Jesus. The New Testament and the New Covenant are exactly the same. There's not a New Testament and a New Covenant. It's one and the same. Different translations will use the word testament. Other translations will use the word covenant, but they're both interpreting the exact same Greek word in Scripture. This New Testament is, it's not books, it's how we enter into a love relationship with God where we are secure in full forgiveness of sins, complete cleansing of sins, confident and free in our relationship with God. He hasn't given us a spirit of fear but he's given us a spirit of peace in our relationship with him. And so that's what we're talking about in this study. Jesus, the mediator, he's the one who brought God and humanity together through his blood so that we could have a relationship with God as our father. Now, this is teaching number 30, and the title is How the Old Items in the Tabernacle Point to Jesus and the New Testament. And this is part three. It's the brazen altar. Hebrews 9, verses 1 through 3 say this. Now, the first covenant or the first testament, some translations will have testament there, some will have covenant, but this is where we get the New Testament and the Old Testament or the Old Covenant. The Old Testament isn't books. The Old Testament is the law of Moses. Now, the first covenant, that's the law of Moses, started in Exodus chapter 24, verse 8. Now, the first covenant or the first testament had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. It was the temple in Jerusalem at one time. It's been destroyed, most of it, some still standing. The first earthly sanctuary was the tabernacle, which that's what we're looking at. Now, the first covenant had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. Verse 2 of Hebrews 9, a tabernacle was set up. In the first room of the the tabernacle was the lampstand and the table with its consecrated bread. We looked at that the last couple weeks. And this was called the holy place. So that's the first room is the holy place. Had the lampstand in it, had the consecrated bread in it. Verse three, behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place. Now, what I want us to do here is understand that if there is a second curtain, then there must have been a first curtain. The first curtain was located at the entrance into the holy place. It separated the holy place from the outer court or from the courtyard of the tabernacle. So you had the holy place, the most holy place, and then outside of the the holy place was the courtyard or the outer court. You can read about that in Exodus chapter 27, verses 9 through 19. The outer, the courtyard, the the outer part of this tabernacle, the courtyard consisted of the brazen laver. This is where the priests washed their hands following their duties and sacrificing animals. That's in Exodus chapter 30, verse 18. It's in Exodus chapter 40, verses 30 through 32. The courtyard also consisted of the brazen altar. That's Exodus chapter 20, 20, uh, verse 24, chapter 20, verse 24, and Exodus chapter 27, verses 1 through 8. Now, the brazen altar is where animals were continually, day after day, offered as a sacrifice for sins. And that's what we're going to look at in this study. We're going to zero in and focus in on the brazen altar where animals were sacrificed for ongoing, continual, day after day after day, year after year after year, forgiveness. Now, the brazen altar was made of wood. That's Exodus chapter 27, verse 1. And remember, everything in the tabernacle, outside of the tabernacle, are all shadows of Jesus. They they somehow represent the work of Jesus. They point us to the person of Jesus and to the work of Jesus and to the cross of Jesus. The brazen altar was made of wood. The cross of Jesus was made of wood. And if you notice, a lot of the things in the tabernacle were made of wood. 
And to me, that points us straight to the wooden cross of Jesus. So the brazen altar was made of wood and represents the wooden cross where Jesus was sacrificed one time for all people, for all sins, and for all time. And where his blood on this wooden cross, where his blood was shed to eternally forgive our sins and cleanse us from sins, to make us holy, to make us clean, to make us pure by his blood, perfect, and then drawing us close to God in a loving relationship. That's what the brazen altar symbolizes or points us to. What did Jesus do for us at the cross? Now, in the following verses, we see that the cross where Jesus was sacrificed was made of wood. Now, we looked at this last week. I just want to go over it one more time this week. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. This is out of the Berean Study Bible. It says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. That curse is death. That the, the penalty for breaking the law is death. The Gentiles had the law written on our hearts. We know lying is lying. Stealing is stealing. Murder is murder. Breaking the law, Jesus said, happens in our hearts before it's ever carried out with our hands. He says that in Matthew chapter 5. So we've all broken the, the law of God, whether it's the Jews who had the law written on stone or whether it's the Gentiles who've had the law written on our hearts. All of us know right from wrong. Breaking the law is death. That's the curse of the law is death. So Christ redeemed us. That means he set people free from the penalty of sin, which is death. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. He took death upon himself. He died our death. For it is written, this is a quote of Paul in Galatians 3.13. He's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 21, verses 22 through 23. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Now, the Greek word there for tree in Galatians 3.13 is the word wood. Cursed is everyone who is hung on a wood. Now, the reference there is talking about Jesus hanging on a cross. He died on a cross. Jesus died on a wooden cross. You can look in 1 Corinthians 3.12 and Revelation 18.12. The Greek word for wood is actually translated in those verses, wood. Now, Peter in Acts 10.39, he's talking about the cross of Jesus. He uses the same Greek word for wood that Paul uses in Galatians 3.13 for tree, also meaning wood. Peter says this in Acts 10.39. Peter says, we are witnesses of everything Jesus did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross. The Greek word there is the word for wood. It's the same Greek word of Galatians 3.13, but Jesus was hung on a cross. That's how the Romans executed people, on a wooden cross. So under the law, the animals that were sacrificed, they were sacrificed continually upon a wooden altar for the temporary forgiveness of sins. Jesus came to establish a new way of relating to God, and it's called the New Testament Jesus said, this is the New Testament poured out for you, established for you in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. It's in Matthew chapter 26 and Luke chapter 22. So to establish this New Testament of grace, Jesus was sacrificed one time upon a wooden cross. That's our altar. That's his altar. That's the altar we go to. We go we go to the altar of the cross. I'll show you guys that in a little, a little bit later in our study in Hebrews uh, tonight. But to establish the New Testament of grace, Jesus was sacrificed one time, not over and over again like the animals were, but Jesus was sacrificed one time upon a wooden cross for the eternal forgiveness of sins, whereas the animals being sacrificed on the wooden altar brought temporal forgiveness of sins. That's why they had had to keep sacrificing animals over and over again. Jesus' one-time sacrifice for sins brought eternal forgiveness of sins. So what we want to do tonight is we want to look at the sacrifice of Jesus for our sins upon the wooden altar that we call the cross. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 27 says, He, Jesus, sacrificed for their sins once for all 
when he offered himself. And that's what grace is. Grace is Jesus willingly offering himself for our sins. How many of our sins was Jesus sacrificed for? He sacrificed for their sins one time for all sins, for all people, for all time. So when Jesus went to the cross, he took all the sins of humanity that had been committed up to that point. It reached all the way into the past and all the way into the future. And all sins of all people for all time were placed upon Jesus at the cross. That's when the curse of death came upon Jesus. Jesus died our death. The wages of sin is death. The penalty for breaking the law is death. Jesus set us free from the penalty of death by paying the penalty for us. If I have a debt and somebody pays my debt in full, then they've set me free from having to pay that debt because they paid it for me. Well, Jesus paid our sin debt, which was death, and he paid it in full, and he paid it for all people, and he paid it for all time. And that's what Paul talks about in Galatians 3.13. We've been set free from the curse of the law. We've been set free from the penalty of sin, which is death. So Jesus, in Hebrews 7.27, he sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. Now, 1 John 2.2 in the Bible talks about Jesus is, is the propitiation for our sins. says that, and he is the propitiation for our sins, not only for our sins, but also for those of the whole world. So think about this for a moment. When Jesus was sacrificed on this wooden altar for our sins, it was for the sins of the whole world. Everybody who's ever lived and who will ever live, every sin that's been committed, Jesus completely paid the sin debt for all people. It's an amazing act of love. It's an amazing act of grace. When Jesus willingly went to the cross for the whole world to pay our sin debt for all of us, for all time, for everyone. Hebrews 10, 12 says this, but when this priest, that's Jesus coming in the order of Melchizedek, we looked at that several weeks back, but when this priest had offered for all time, all time meaning all the way into the past and all the way into the future, for all time, for all sins, for all people, but when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. The contrast here is under the law of Moses, the priests under the law were continually sacrificing these animals on the wooden altar, the, the brazen altar outside of the tabernacle in the courtyard. And people were lining up with animals to take them to the altar to have them sacrificed for daily forgiveness of sins, ongoing, continual, day after day, they're getting back in these lines and they're having their sins paid for, or their, their sin debt was covered by the animals. It wasn't paid for by the animals. It was covered by the animals. It's like a credit card. When somebody uses a Visa card to pay for an item from the store, the credit card is covering the payment. They're not making the payment. They cover the payment, but the person who, who used the credit card still has to pay the credit card company for the payment that they made. So Jesus didn't cover our sins. He paid for our sin in full. The difference is if I go to the store with a friend and I purchase an item or I'm ready to purchase an item, if my friend says, hey, I'm going to pay for this item in full and you owe me nothing in return, that's our friend taking away our debt. The debt that we owe for the item that we purchased has now been removed. He took it upon himself and he paid for it. And now it's ours and we can enjoy whatever the item is. The animals were more like a credit card. They covered the payment, but the payment still had to be made. Jesus is like that friend. He made the payment, no payment left to be made. 
enjoy what was purchased for you. And what did Jesus purchase for us at the cross? He purchased for us freedom, eternal life, forgiveness, cleansing from sins, a relationship with God. And it's free and it's for everyone. And by faith, we receive this gift of salvation that Jesus has purchased for us with his own blood. Jesus offered himself one time for all sins, for all people. And by faith, we receive this forgiveness. We don't keep trying to get forgiveness over and over and over again, like the people of Israel did under the law. We are forgiven. And what we do now is we just spend the rest of our lives thanking God for the forgiveness that he's freely given us in Christ. Going to God over and over again and asking him for forgiveness would be like if I'm at the store and I buy an item or I'm ready to buy an item and my friend says, I'm going to buy that item for you. And he purchases that item for me in full. Rather than me enjoying the item, if I keep asking my friend to pay the debt for that item, will you pay the debt for that item? Will you pay the debt for that item? And my friend's constantly saying the debt's been paid. It's been paid in full. Enjoy the the possession now. As long as I am day after day after day and month after month after month and year after year after year, asking God to forgive me for sins, I cannot enjoy what Jesus went to the cross to purchase for me and for you. I can't enjoy salvation. I can't enjoy a close relationship with God. I cannot enjoy complete forgiveness. I cannot enjoy being at peace with God and knowing I'm in fellowship with God because I'm still trying to get forgiveness from God when he's already given it completely to me. God wants us to enjoy forgiveness. And the way we enjoy forgiveness is knowing that we are forgiven forever. And we just say, God, thank you that I'm forgiven. Thank you so much. Now I can enjoy this relationship with you without having to worry about your punishment or or I'm out of fellowship with you. No, I am forgiven and I am in right relationship with you because of the blood of Jesus. Now, through the one sacrifice of Jesus on the altar of the cross, this wooden cross symbolized in the wooden altar outside the tabernacle, through the one sacrifice of Jesus on the altar of the cross, we have an an eternally cleared record, an eternally cleared record, which is forgiveness, no debt to pay. Look what Hebrews chapter 10, verses 17 through 18 says. Hebrews 10, 17 through 18. Then he, the Holy Spirit, in context, adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. That's the New Testament there. That's the new covenant. This has nothing to do with books, but it has everything to do with what the blood of Jesus did for us. Because of the blood of Jesus being shed for our forgiveness, for our sins and our forgiveness of sins, their sins and lawless acts, I will remember no more. That's what Paul's referring to in Galatians 3.13, that Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law. Jesus set us free from the death penalty of the law. Hebrews 10.17, then the Holy Spirit adds, their sins and lawless acts, because of what Christ has done, because of his blood poured out on the cross for us, their sins and lawless acts, I will remember no more. And that's a quotation of Jeremiah 31, 34, which talks about the coming New Testament that has now come. Verse 18, and where these have been forgiven, where these sins have been forgiven, that's permanently forgiven, that's fully forgiven. So where these sins have forever been forgiven and fully been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Now, what I want us to remember is this verse or or Hebrews was written in AD 65, somewhere around AD 65. And this verse is directed at people who were literally still lining up at the wooden altar at the temple in Jerusalem and bringing their animals to the priests 
to have their animals sacrificed for the forgiveness of their sins. And then they would get back in line the next day or the next week or the next month and the next year. And they're constantly going to this wooden altar, this brazen altar that was a part of the Old Testament, part of the, the, the Mosaic law system. Talks about it in Leviticus and in Numbers and in Exodus. And what the writer is doing in real time when he wrote this letter to real people is he's telling the people, you're wasting your time sacrificing animals for the forgiveness of sins. You're wasting your time standing in line, waiting until it's your turn to get up to the wooden altar where the priest is and presenting your animal to be sacrificed for sins. It's a waste of time. That's what the writer of Hebrews means in Hebrews chapter six. It's impossible to be brought back to repentance because it's impossible for, for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins or to forgive sins, which the writer writes about that in Hebrews 10. Why is it impossible to be brought repentance, meaning to, to forgiveness and to cleansing of sins in the Hebrew world? It's impossible to get forgiveness through the law of Moses is what it's saying by sacrificing an animal because forgiveness doesn't come through an animal sacrifice. It comes through the sacrifice of Jesus on a wooden cross where his blood was shed for all of our sins, for all people, for all time. And so he's telling the people here who are reading this in AD 65, he's saying the New Testament that's talked about in Jewish scriptures, Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, is now here. The Old Testament is obsolete and outdated now that Jesus has come, the Messiah, and he shed his blood for the forgiveness of sins, establishing the New Testament. And now that your sins have been completely forgiven through the blood of Jesus, it's no longer necessary to bring an animal to the priest to be sacrificed. That's what's going on in that verse. The modern day Christian has been taught to do what the Jewish people were doing every day, which was seeking forgiveness. The only difference is the modern day Christian isn't sacrificing animals. We're just going straight to God. God, forgive me. I'm so sorry. God, forgive me. Constantly, every day, day after day after day, year after year after year. But the, the truth is, your sins have been forgiven. God is not waiting on us to ask him to forgive us. He never waited on us to ask him to forgive us. God in Christ, and then Christ sent Paul and others to declare the good news of what Jesus has done, and God's the one asking us to receive forgiveness. And once we place our faith in Jesus, which is how we receive forgiveness, we possess forgiveness forever. So because we possess forgiveness, we don't have to request forgiveness. Most believers don't understand that they possess complete forgiveness. That's why they continually request forgiveness from God. And God is wanting people to understand this New Testament. That's not necessary anymore. Brad, it's not necessary for you to ask me to forgive you because your sins have been forgiven at the cross. And by faith, you receive forgiveness. And that forgiveness is yours for the rest of your life. Now, that's freedom and that's confidence that we can have with God because we know that we're forgiven. Now, some people will say, well, that's just going to give people a license to sin. And what I've heard someone say before is, is this, that most people have never heard about grace, and they're doing a really good job sinning. It's not that grace gives anybody a license to sin. People, people naturally sin, and they've never heard about grace. What grace is, is the power in the life of a person to help them say no to sin to help them grow in their relationship with God. It's the, it's the very opposite of what people are typically accused of. Okay, Jesus goes to the cross. He sacrifices himself for our sins. As a result, we have an eternally cleared record. You will never be guilty of sin again because Jesus 
took our, our guilt upon himself at the cross. We are innocent of sin. God sees you as no debt to pay. You have no debt to pay. When we ask God to forgive us, what we're saying is, I now have a sin debt. I have a sin debt. So God, forgive me because I have a sin debt. Your debt was nailed to the cross with Jesus. You have no sin debt. Faith receives, faith believes, faith trusts in the payment that Jesus made for our sin debt. And that debt is now forgiven forever. And we receive that by faith in Jesus. So because of the sacrifice of Jesus, because the shed blood of Jesus upon this wooden cross, we have an, an eternally cleared record and we have an eternally clean heart, which means we're holy, we're clean, we're pure before God. An eternally cleared record is no debt to pay. And an eternally clean heart is we're not dirty before God, so to speak. We're righteous, we're clean, we're pure. The blood of Christ purifies from all sin. First John chapter 1, verse 7. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, the blood of Christ purifies from all sin. We have an eternally clean heart. Every time we sin, it doesn't mean I'm dirty before God again. It doesn't mean I have a debt before God, and it doesn't mean I'm dirty before God when we sin. Because that debt has been permanently paid. Our, our hearts have been permanently purified. If sins caused us to go in debt again, and if, if sins caused us to be dirty before God again, and if confessing our sins removes the debt, and confessing our sins individually makes us pure, then I've got about a thousand. I cannot miss one sin. Which then begs the question, how many sins have we committed that we didn't even know we've, we committed? Lots of sins that we've committed in our thoughts, in our minds, in our attitudes. And if those sins aren't forgiven, the ones that we know nothing about, then we're in debt to God, which the debt of that is eternal separation from God, death. And we're dirty before God, which means we can't be close to God. That's why Jesus took all of our sins upon himself at the cross. And his blood paid our sin debt, and his blood cleansed our sinful hearts. So that now we have no debt to pay, and we're not dirty before God. We're cleansed of all sin. We're eternally cleansed of all sin. So we have an eternally cleared record because of the death of Jesus on this wooden cross. We have an eternally clean heart because the blood of Jesus purifies from all sin. Hebrews 10, 14 says, for by one sacrifice, Jesus has made perfect forever. Perfect forever means no debt to pay. You're not dirty before God. You're completely clean and righteous before God forever, blameless because of what Jesus did on the cross for us. For by one sacrifice, Jesus has made perfect forever. Those who are, now the NIV says being made holy. The word being is not in the original Greek, the manuscripts. So in the, in the Hebrew manuscript, the word being is not there. It was inserted by those translating the NIV, but it shouldn't be there. For by one sacrifice, Jesus has made perfect forever those who are made holy. Because we're made holy, we're perfect forever. Holy means I'm clean, I'm pure before God. The blood of Christ has purified our sinful hearts and made them clean before God forever. And that, that's why we're perfect before God forever. Which is why no sin can make us dirty because we've been made perfect forever. No sin can put us into debt because we've been made perfect forever. Perfectly forgiven perfectly holy, perfectly righteous, perfectly clean. So we have an eternally cleared record. We have an eternally clean heart. In Hebrews 9, 12 through 14, it shows us how the blood of Jesus eternally forgave our sins 
and eternally cleanses us from sins, makes us holy, forgives our sins, makes us holy. Hebrews 9, 12 says this, Jesus entered the most holy place. That's the very presence of God. One time for all people and for all sins, and nobody asked him to do it. That's what grace is. Grace is God doing something for us that we didn't ask him to do because he loves us. So he's not waiting on us to ask for forgiveness. He's asking us to place faith in what he's done for us in Jesus. And what he's done for us in Jesus is grace, which has brought purification from sins and forgiveness for sins. So Jesus entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. So one of the things you'll hear me say a lot in this Hebrews Bible study is I'll use the word eternal because the New Testament, this new covenant is an eternal testament. It's an eternal covenant that what Jesus did on the cross lasts forever. It's eternal. There will never be a time where the work of Jesus on the cross stops working comes to an end. It's forever. It's an eternal covenant. And when you read Hebrews 13, you get to the pretty close to the end of Hebrews 13. The writer of Hebrews talks about the eternal covenant that Jesus put in place through his blood. That's why I'll talk about eternal forgiveness, eternal cleansing from sins. That's why the writer of Hebrews says made perfect forever or made perfect eternally because it's an eternal covenant. So Hebrews 9, 12 says, Jesus entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus securing for us, obtaining for us eternal redemption. Now, the question is this, what is redemption? We sing about it a lot, redeemed, redeemed, redeemed by the blood of the lamb. People sing that a lot. Most people, when they sing using the word redemption or redeemed, they really don't know what they're, they're singing. Because if they knew what they were singing, they would stop asking God to forgive them. When I'm singing redeemed, redeemed, redeemed by the blood of the lamb, what we're really saying is forgiven, forgiven, forgiven forever by the blood of Jesus. Look what Paul writes in Ephesians 1, 6 through 8. He says, to the praise of God's glorious grace, meaning, God, your grace is absolutely amazing. And he's going to tell us why the grace of God is so amazing here. Ephesians 1, 6 through 8. To the praise of God's glorious grace, which he's freely given us in the one he loves. So grace comes to us freely. Grace comes to us fully. And grace comes to us forever. And we receive grace by faith. Grace is everything God has done for us in Christ. To the praise of God's glorious grace, which he has freely given us. So he's given us his grace. It's free. Grace is everything God has done for us in Christ. To the praise of his, of his glorious grace, which God has freely given us in the one he loves. Verse 7 of Ephesians 1. In Jesus, we have redemption. There's the word. We have redemption through his blood. And then Paul tells us what redemption is through the blood of Jesus. He says, the forgiveness of sins. So what is redemption? Redemption is the forgiveness of sins. It's an eternal forgiveness. It means our sin debt has been paid in full. It's been paid forever. And it's been paid for everybody. And anybody can place their faith in what Jesus has done and experience forgiveness. And forgiveness is not something we seek from God every day. Forgiveness is something we receive from God the very day we place our faith in Jesus, and it's ours forever. We are redeemed. We are forgiven by the blood of the Lamb. When people continually to ask God for forgiveness, they do not understand the power of the blood of Jesus. They just don't understand it. It's not their fault. They've never been taught it. Churches aren't teaching it. I mean, they'll talk about the blood of Jesus, 
one Sunday and the next Sunday, they'll say, we, we need to keep asking for forgiveness. Well, the pastor doesn't understand it, and it's not his fault. The seminaries aren't teaching it. That's the gospel. We have been redeemed. There's an old praise and worship song called Fear Not, We Are Redeemed. Fear not, we are redeemed. Don't be afraid anymore. Your sins have been forgiven. Your debt has been paid. You are forgiven forever. I mean, that's the good news of the gospel. That's the foundation of the new covenant. Their sins and lawless acts, I will remember no more. Okay, God, you're not counting my sins against me anymore. Now I can get on into this relationship with you. Now I can know you and walk through life with you and you walk through life with me. Ephesians 1, 6 through 8, to the praise of God's glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In Jesus, we have the redemption. We have redemption through his blood, not through my daily confession of sins. We have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins, we have it. See the possession there? In him, we have. In him, we possess forgiveness. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. What's part of that new creation? You're forgiven. I'm a forgiven person in Christ. I possess it. It's mine. And so if I possess forgiveness, then I certainly don't need to request forgiveness. Because I request something that I don't have. I possess something that I do have. So what we find out in verses after the cross We don't find this out in the Lord's Prayer. We don't find it out in Matthew 18 because the blood of Christ hasn't been shed for the forgiveness of sins yet. In Christ, we possess redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. It's yours. Enjoy it. Be set free by it. Let the guilt of shame and the condemnation fall off your shoulders and know that you are not guilty before God. You are innocent forever because Jesus paid your sin debt forever because he loves you. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. It came through the grace of God. It came through this new Testament, through this new covenant that he lavished on us. See, God has lavished his grace upon you. I mean, he has poured out his grace upon each of us. And part of this pouring out of grace is his pouring out of the blood of Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. He's lavished forgiveness upon us. We are forgiven. Enjoy it. Enjoy being forgiven. All right, let's go back to Hebrews 9, 12 through 14, which shows us how the blood of Jesus has eternally forgiven our sins and has eternally cleansed us from our sins. So this is Hebrews 9, 12 through 14. Jesus entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption, meaning eternal forgiveness. Verse 13, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean, sanctify them so that they're outwardly clean. He's he's describing the wooden altar outside of the tabernacle where these animals were sacrificed that these sacrificing of these animals outwardly could cleanse somebody's sins temporarily, but they couldn't inwardly cleanse the heart because the blood of bulls and goats cannot cleanse the heart of a person. Verse 14, how much more then will the blood of Christ, here we go again, the blood of Jesus, the New Testament went into effect with the blood of Jesus. When again, we're not talking about the book of Matthew went into effect with the blood of Jesus. We're talking about a new way of relating to God. This New Testament, this new way of relating to God went into effect when the first nail was driven in the hand of Jesus and blood started pouring out of his his body. New Testament, new way, his blood shed for the forgiveness of our sins. How much more then will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God. So Jesus was sinless, therefore he could pay our sin penalty. He offered himself unblemished to God. How much more will the blood of Christ cleanse our consciences? That's inside. That's internal forgiveness, internal cleansing of sins. Cleanse our consciences 
from acts that lead to death. Now, we're going to look at more of this next week, but the acts that lead to death here can refer to acts of sin, which lead to the penalty of sin, which is death, or can be talking about the powerlessness of the law to cleanse from sins. Either one we choose there, either one an interpreter may arrive at, the solution's the same. It's the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus has taken care of our sin debt, and the blood of Jesus has done what the law could never do, which is cleanse a person from sins. And look at the reason that our sins have been purified from the inside out. Those thoughts that we have that, what if I miss one of those sins and I don't confess that thought I had or that attitude I had or that desire that I had? What if I don't confess that to God? The blood of Jesus has already taken care of it. That's the beauty of this. You've been cleansed internally so that we may serve the living God there in verse 14 of Hebrews 9. To serve there means to worship is what that word means. It means to to be in a close, intimate, loving relationship with God. And what makes it possible for us to be in a loving, close relationship with God is knowing that the blood of Jesus paid my sin debt and cleansed my sinful heart. And how long is my sin debt paid forever? And how long is my heart cleansed from sin forever? God's not expecting us to remember every sin and go and ask him so we can be back in fellowship and close to him. That's been taken care of by Jesus. So as a result of an eternally cleared record, forgiveness, and an eternally cleansed heart, purified from all sins, holy, we are eternally close to God. Look what Hebrews 7, 18 through 19 says about the new covenant. This New Testament says the former regulation, that's the animals that were sacrificed for temporal forgiveness. That's the law of Moses. The former regulation is set aside. It's no longer being used. That's why the Old Testament is obsolete. That's why the Old Testament is outdated, because it's now set aside because something much, much better has come. Someone much, much better has come. That someone is Jesus and that something is the wooden cross. That's how God relates to us now. So the former regulation, the Old Testament of law, is set aside because it was weak and useless. It was powerless. It it can't forgive sins. It can't purify from sins. It can't bring us close to God. If it could, then the people wouldn't always have to be sacrificing for their sins. It couldn't. It was powerless. It's like an x-ray machine. How much power does an x-ray machine have to heal a person who has a disease? Well, their x-ray machine has no power to heal a person who has a sickness, but it shows us that we have a sickness. The law shows a person that they're sinful, but it can't cure the sinfulness, can't forgive sins or purify. The blood of Christ purifies and cleanses and forgives for all sins. The former regulation is set aside because it is weak and useless. Verse 19 of Hebrews 7 says this, and a better hope, a better covenant, a better testament So God set aside the Old Testament and put in place the New Testament, which is a better way of relating to God. A better hope is introduced, a better way of relating to God. It was introduced to the human race by which we draw near to God. So we draw near to God through what Jesus did when he shed his blood on the cross. We're close to God because of what Jesus did. And what's really sad is most believers have never been introduced to the New Testament. They've never been introduced to what the blood of Jesus really did for them, what this wooden cross really did for them. When you ask most believers, hey, tell me about the New Testament, they're going to say, well, it starts at Matthew chapter 1. No, no, that's not the New Testament. That's where the book of Matthew starts, but that's not where the New Testament starts. You know somebody gets it if you ask them, hey, tell me about the New Testament. And we say, oh, I'm so glad you asked. That's the day Jesus went to the cross. That's the day Jesus shed his blood for all your sins and purified you for all sins, cleansed you for all, for all sins so that you can be close to God and so that you can know God personally and intimately in a relationship. And he loves you and he wants to know you personally. And he took all your sins and nailed them to the cross. That's the New Testament. 
And it's through what Christ did that we draw near to God. We enjoy a close relationship with God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13 talks about the blood of Jesus is what brings us close to God. Ephesians 2.18 says we have total access to God because of the blood of Jesus. Ephesians 3.12 says we have freedom and confidence in our relationship with God because of what Jesus has done for us. So because of what Jesus has done, we're close to God. We have total access to God. We have freedom and confidence in our relationship with God. And it's not about me. It's not about my faithfulness to a set of disciplines or my my devotion to God or my commitment to God. It's about Jesus, the one who loved us and gave himself for us. He took upon our sinfulness at the cross and he gives us his righteousness. Now we can be close to God, total access to God and have freedom and confidence in our relationship with God. Okay. Hebrews chapter 13 verses 9 through 12 give us more insight into this brazen altar outside the tabernacle that pointed to the altar, which is the cross where Jesus was sacrificed to shed his blood for our eternal and internal forgiveness of sins and our eternal and internal cleansing from sins and to make us eternally close to God because God eternally and internally dwells within us. That's the New Testament in a paragraph there. That's what the blood of Christ has done for us. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 13, verse 9. The writer of Hebrews is writing to Jewish people. They've been presented this New Testament of grace about eternal forgiveness, eternal righteousness, eternal purification from sins, eternal redemption. And he says this to them, in Hebrews 13, 9, he says, do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. Now, in the context of Hebrews, what would a strange teaching be? A strange teaching would be any teaching that tells a person they must somehow get God's forgiveness. That forgiveness is not complete. Forgiveness is not full. Forgiveness is not forever. So any teaching that says you have to request God's forgiveness rather than you already possess his forgiveness by faith in Jesus is a strange teaching to the writer of Hebrews. He's just educated the Jewish people on on what grace has done for them, eternal forgiveness, eternal purification from sins. So it says any teaching that you hear that says you have to get more of God's forgiveness or stay forgiven by God or try to maintain fellowship with God and maintain closeness to God by continual confession of sins and any unconfessed sin you have in your life puts you out of fellowship with God. Make sure you have no unconfessed sin and no short account. Keep keep your short accounts on sins. That's a strange teaching because it's in direct contradiction to what Jesus did at the cross. It's in direct contradiction to what the entire book of Hebrews is about. There's a lot of strange teachings going on in churches all over the world, telling people, yeah, Jesus paid your sin debt in full. Jesus paid it all. Come to Jesus and have all your sins forgiven. And then the next message we hear is, but you need to keep asking for forgiveness so you can stay close to God. That's, that's not even a logical teaching. That's a very strange teaching when it's put up beside what Jesus did for us at the cross. So do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace. So the strange teaching here is any teaching that is not of grace. Do not be carried away by fill in the blank. Somebody's doing the teaching, right? So what the writer of Hebrews is saying is you as a person who is a new covenant believer, just because somebody's standing on a stage with a Bible in their hands doesn't mean you have to adopt what they're saying, that you have to apply what they're saying. You do not have to be carried away by what they're teaching. Paul says the same thing in Ephesians chapter 4. 
don't be carried away by, by these different teachings that come that aren't rooted and grounded in the gospel of grace, complete forgiveness of sins. So we don't have to be carried away by a pastor who's on a stage with a Bible in his hand or a small group leader who's talking or teaching or somebody that's teaching on YouTube. I mean, I tell people all the time, just because I'm teaching doesn't mean I'm right. It just means I'm teaching. And I ask people all the time to take what I teach, evaluate everything I teach through Scripture, understanding that there's an Old Testament and there's a New Testament. It's not books. It's blood. It's really clear in Scripture. The church didn't come into existence until after Jesus died on the cross. Much of Jesus's teaching is directly aimed at Israel under the law. There's some basic methods of of interpreting Scripture that we need to apply, or we can make Scripture say anything we want to anybody we want at any time we want. So don't be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace. Now, what do people say who tend to attack the gospel of grace? Grace is going to weaken people. Grace is going to give people a license to sin. Well, that's the very opposite message of the scripture. That's a strange statement that somebody would say, wow, grace is going to give people a license to sin. That's a very strange statement because grace is not our idea. Grace is God's idea. So God doesn't think grace is going to give people a license to sin. It would be strange for me to think grace is going to give people a license to sin when God doesn't think that way. God thinks grace is the power that sets a person free that changes a person, that transforms a person, that brings people into a close relationship with himself. Look at Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9. It defines grace for us. But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. We looked at this verse way back in the beginning of our study. So that by the grace of God, Jesus might taste death for everybody. Now, why did Jesus die? He went to the cross to pay our sin debt. And he paid our sin debt for all people, for all time, for everyone. That's grace. That's the grace of God. So there are Bible teachers out there who will say grace is going to give people a license to sin. That's the direct attack on God. Because grace is God's. So that by the grace of God... Jesus might taste death for everyone. He paid for everybody's sin debt in full. And grace, when it's taught in its fullness, begins to change people. Let's continue to look in Hebrews 13, 9 through 12, which gives us insight into the wooden brazen altar that pointed to the wooden cross where Jesus was sacrificed to shed his blood for our sins to make us holy, pure, clean, forgiven. Hebrews 13, 9 through 12 says this, do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by eating ceremonial foods, which is of no benefit to those who do so. Fill in the blank here. Don't be carried away by whatever the teaching is that's not rooted and grounded in grace and complete forgiveness and complete righteousness and eternal closeness with God, eternal cleansing from sin, eternal forgiveness of sins. Don't be carried away by those teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, which is everything Jesus did for us at the cross. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by eating ceremonial foods. Now, remember, this was written to real people at real time around AD 65, who were still under the law of Moses, who were still following the law of Moses, They were still taking animals to be sacrificed. There were still certain foods they could and couldn't eat. You can read about that in Leviticus. You can read about that in Exodus and Numbers. And they were still thinking that by practicing the law of Moses, I can experience forgiveness. I can experience cleansing from sins and I can experience closeness with God. And the writer of Hebrews is saying all of that is strange teachings now that Jesus has come. Through Jesus, you're eternally forgiven. Through Jesus, you're eternally close to God. Through Jesus, you're eternally cleansed from all sins. Nothing you do to try to get forgiveness, get close to God, and cleanse yourself from sins is any benefit. It doesn't work. 
for me to try to get forgiveness, get close to God and get clean from sins is to say that the cross isn't enough. And that, that would be a strange teaching because we all know the cross is enough. Jesus did it all. Verse 10, we have an altar. That's those who've come to faith in Christ. Here's this brazen altar. Here's how it points to Jesus right here. This wooden altar points to the wooden cross. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. Now, what does that mean? What did it mean to the writer when he wrote it? What did it mean to the audience when they read it? We have an altar. The altar was where the animal was sacrificed, right? The brazen altar outside the tabernacle. We have an altar from which those who minister at the altar at the tabernacle have no right to eat. Those who minister at the tabernacle were the priests who were sacrificing the animal at the wooden altar outside the tabernacle. Certain animals, the priests, once they were sacrificed, they could take the meat of that animal and it would become their food. That's what they would eat. So the priests who were sacrificing the animals outside of the tabernacle at the brazen altar could eat certain meats of certain animals that were sacrificed. So what the writer of Hebrews here is saying, listen, we have a different altar that we eat from than what the priest under the law of Moses eat from. We have a different altar. Now he's, he's going to tell us exactly what is the altar that we eat from, believers in Jesus. Verse 11. The high priest carries the blood of animals that have been sacrificed into the most holy place as a sin offering. But the bodies of the animals are burned outside the camp. So if you go back and you begin reading in Numbers and Exodus, Leviticus and Numbers, every family tribe of Israel, when they made their camp, when they stopped traveling and they set up camp, Every tribe had a certain place where their tents went. The animals were taken outside of the camp. And they were burned outside of the camp. That's what he's referring to there. Verse 12. And so Jesus also suffered outside of the city. Now, what city is he referring to there in real time? Jerusalem. Jesus was crucified on a wooden cross, on a wooden altar, outside of Jerusalem. He's drawing some parallels between the sacrificing of the animals and the sacrificing of Jesus, the blood of the animals and the blood of Jesus. The animal was taken outside of the camp, burned outside of the camp. And Jesus suffered outside of the city of Jerusalem. Why? Look, look at this. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy, eternally cleansed from sins, eternally forgiven for sins, eternally close to God through his own blood. That's the New Testament. And that's the altar that we eat from. Verse 10 of Hebrews 13, we have an altar. Well, what's that altar? It's the cross that was outside of Jerusalem where Jesus shed his blood to make us holy. That's why progressive sanctification or progressive holiness is not biblical. We have been made holy through the blood of Jesus. We've been cleansed from all sins, forgiven of all sins, brought close to God. Remember, Jesus was about to go to the cross. He's with the disciples in the upper room. And he says, this is my body, eat of it. This is my blood, drink of it. He, he's telling them, eat of the altar of the cross. He does the same thing in, in John chapter six. And we're going to look at that in a few weeks. But the altar that you and I eat from is the wooden cross of Jesus, where he shed his blood for all people, for all sins, for all time. And through faith in Jesus, we receive eternal forgiveness. We receive eternal cleansing from sins. And we are eternally close to God. All because 
of the blood of Jesus. Hey, I want to thank you for listening to this teaching today. If you enjoy these teachings, you may also enjoy the resources on my website, gracereach.org, and you may also enjoy my books, which are available on Amazon. I also have a YouTube channel and a Facebook page, and you can find the links to all my resources and the details of this podcast teaching. If you'd like to support my ministry in reaching more and more people with the good news of God's grace and teaching more and more people about His grace, click the Donate button on the Grace Reach website, again, which is gracereach.org. Hey, thank you guys so much for listening to this teaching today. I pray that through these teachings, you are understanding the Bible more fully and you're understanding God's grace more clearly. Have a great day.